You know, there's this scripture in Matthew 15. It's the feeding of the 4,000. And Jesus does all these miracles. And then at the very end of it, it has this one sentence that says, and they praised the God of Israel. And there are some scriptures that we take at face value and go, that's, that's great. And there's some scriptures, for me at least, that I go, I wish they would expound a little more on. They praised the God of Israel. What did that look like? I'll tell you what it didn't look like. They didn't pull out the speakers. <laughs> they didn't have the lights. Peter didn't pull out the guitar and play, Lord, I lift your name on high. <laughs> In the genuine rawness of God showing up, they praised the God of Israel. As we head into the scriptures here, I thought it would be only fitting if we end this time of worship by just praising the God of Israel. Can we do that? <laughs> Praise you, God. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, God. You're so good. Go ahead and grab a seat, turn to someone, say, man, you look great today. If you got your Bibles, you want to pull it out, we're going to look in Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12, once you get there, stick a finger in that. Real quick, before we dive into the deep end, uh, I want to let you know about something. Uh, in January, we're starting a series called uh, Built for Purpose, and we're really excited about it. And one of the things that's going to happen alongside of the message is we're starting these message series groups. And it's just a four-week kind of uh, small group meeting all around the city where we break down kind of what we talk about on Sunday, have fellowship, food, all that good stuff. And uh, if, if that's something that interests you, we're going to have signups for it coming soon. But right now we're looking for leaders that would be interested in either hosting or leading uh, one of those small groups. Uh, it's only a four-week commitment. And if you're kind of on the fence, like, I don't know, I've never done anything like that, here's what you want to do, whether you're all in, all in on it or, or you're kind of on the fence. Next week at 10.30, you want to make sure to show up downstairs in the classroom, and Pastor Terry's going to go over the nuts and bolts of it and really let you know what it'll look like. We're looking for like 10, 12 uh, leaders uh, to really do this well. So you've heard me say this before, life is better in circles, not rows, right? Oh, that's, I, amen, Jake, preach it. Come on, are we awake? <laughs> uh, Genesis chapter 12, let's dive right in here. It says this, verse one we're gonna look at. Now the Lord said to Abraham, go, everyone say go. Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to a land that I will show you. Verse two, and I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse and in you all the families of the earth. Everyone say all, all. shall be blessed because of you. Verse four, so Abraham went as the Lord had told him and Lot went with him Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Skip down to verse six, it says, Abraham passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the oak of Morah. At that time, 
the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your offspring, I will give this land. Let's pray. Father, this morning we're going to speak into dreams, into visions, into callings, into expectations. And God, I, I pray that you would be present here, that your Holy Spirit would speak, God, that I could just step back and allow you, God, to take over what you need to do here. We come from all walks of life, God. We all come with different needs from different places. We all have our own different tribes, but God, in this place, under this roof, God, we're here to hear from you. So speak, Holy Spirit, be present. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said? Amen. Amen. Well, it's Christmas season. We're in a series called Expected. I feel like Christmas season just gets bigger and bigger, doesn't it? Like, I feel like in October almost we're starting to sell, which is no problem. I, I, I like it, you know, it's, it's a great uh, spirit, you know. It, it's the one time, I was thinking about this the other day, it's the one time all over the world people are praising God, <laughs> right? I mean, someplace, in some mall in Turkey right now, right, over the speakers, they're playing worship songs <laughs> because it's Christmas season and, and, and we get in this experience expectant kind of, don't you get excited for it? Okay, all right, all right. <laughs> Apparently I'm in the wrong place today. <laughs> don't we get excited for Christmas? Yeah, we get expectant. Well, I did something this week. Um, I bought a mystery box. Has anyone heard of these things yet? I didn't know about any of these, okay? Apparently, if you don't know, there are places you can go online, reputable places, okay? Yeah, I've got to clarify that. Reputable places where you can buy a mystery box. And they will send you a box like this that I have no idea what's in. For a week, this has been sitting in my office, okay? And I, I don't, I mean, it could be beef jerky. <laughs> it could be, you know, a, a radio-controlled, you know, airplane. I don't know what's in here at all. Do you want me to open it? You really do? Yes. I'm not going to do it. <laughs> I'm not. <laughs> I'm telling you, it's been sitting on my desk for a week now, and you won't know the kind of thing. In my mind, I'm like, you, you do this at Christmas too, don't you? What is this? It's not, it's not super heavy. What could be in this thing? We live this. I love being expectant. The mystery, Right? gets us excited. Sometimes the mystery itself is, it, it almost sets us up for disappointment, doesn't it, sometimes? Right? Kids, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> when I was a kid, probably eight or nine years old, I was the innocent kid for like five years straight. I kept finding all my presents. Anyone else had that before? I just would accident, and I promise you, they would accidentally just stumble upon my Christmas presents. And one year, my grandparents would bring all of us grandkids together, and all the families would come, and we would open our gift from grandma and grandpa. And one year, about two weeks prior to Christmas, I'm down in the basement looking for something, and all of a sudden, I come upon a radio-controlled car. Now, if you grew up in the 80s, <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. There was nothing cooler for a boy than a radio. Now, I know we have, you know, all these, uh, you know, drones and stuff, okay? This was the drones of the 80s, right? 
Nothing was cooler than having a high-speed radio-controlled car. And I remember looking at this box being like, this is so... And in my mind, I already started putting the story together. Christmas Day, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to open up this present, and I'm going to have a radio... <laughs> and so for two weeks, I'm sitting on this, this uh, expectation in my mind of this radio-controlled car that I'm going to have fun with all year. Well, it, sure enough, Christmas rolls around. All of the cousins come. We start opening presents. I'm, al- I'm already working on my pretend surprise face, right? Uh, I didn't know. I rip it open. I, honestly, I don't even remember what I got. I just know it wasn't a radio-controlled car. <laughs> Has this ever happened to anyone before? I was so frustrated. I was so upset, man. I had set in my mind, like playing with this thing. I had the dream. Man, the story was written. It was already done. Like my expectations were high and they were dashed. Here's what happened. Here's what really happened is my expectations, they didn't meet my situation. I was thinking about this, how often this happens in our lives. When our expectations don't meet our actual situation. Maybe you're here and you're a single mom and you had this dream, this picture in your head of how things were going to go, but you find your situation in a completely different place. Maybe you're a parent of teenagers And in your mind, your expectations was that all your kids would be loving Jesus and going to church, and and the situation is is different. Maybe you're here this morning and God's given you a vision. He's given you a calling for something. Maybe it's within ministry. Maybe it's a business. I don't know. But over time, you realize that your expectation isn't actually meeting up with the actual situation. And we're left in those situations going, what is happening? What is going on? I didn't picture it this way. Has anyone ever felt this before? This is what Abram's going through. This is the situation at hand here. Listen to what he says. It says, God shows up and says, Abram, go. I want you to go. He packs up everything and he decides to go at 75 years old. Do we have anyone that's 75 years old in here? Not a lot. Here we go, Bill. Yes. (laughs) It would be hard to pack everything up and just head to somewhere where you don't even know, right? And Abram does it. He decides to go and not know, but yet he goes. Do you get my flow? (laughs) No? (laughs) This is bad. (laughs) So he does this. He packs everything up. He heads down to this place that God tells him. And then it says this verse here. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. (laughs) Think about that. God sets up this picture. I'm going to bless you, Abram. In fact, I'm going to bless you so much that all the nations of the world will be blessed because of you. That's a pretty big vision, isn't it? That's a pretty big picture that God's put in Abram's heart, isn't it? 
If you break down the Hebrew language that's going on here in the promise that God gives in this blessing, it, it likens to almost what we would relate to as winning the lottery. Like, I picked you, Abram. Your family will be blessed so much that all the nations of the world will be blessed. Now, pick up everything and go. Man, imagine the expectations Abram had. I'm gonna walk in this, this land's gonna be perfect. I mean, there's gonna be fruit just coming up. Like, everything's gonna be, there's gonna be houses already built. Like, imagine the blessing, the expectation he's thinking of in his mind. And then the actual situation becomes reality, shows up, and there's Canaanites in the land? What? Wait, wait, wait. You said nothing about people already being here. What am I supposed to do, God? Wait, you want me to get rid of them? Uh, I was not expecting that. When your expectations don't match your situation, what do you do? You know what Abram did? There's this short little chapter in Genesis where he sees the Canaanites in the land and then he makes this little journey to Egypt, right? And then he heads back up. It's just like one little chapter, this one little brief detour. Why does Abraham do that? I'll tell you what I think. I think it's because his expectations didn't match the situation. God, what are you doing here? I thought this was supposed to be all laid out and you know everything would be, I'd just walk in and everything would be ready. I'm just gonna head down to Egypt here. Let you figure it out. <laughs> Have you ever been in this place before where your expectations don't match the situation? And, and here's the deal. You can open up the scriptures and you can find this story everywhere. David's a young boy and he gets anointed king of Israel. King of One day you're gonna be king. Imagine the expectations he had. Next thing you know, he's hiding in a cave for his life from the current king. There's one Psalms. Uh, there's one Psalm where David's, David says, all men are liars. You know what I think that is? I think he's going, man, that prophet who prophesied me king, man, all men are liars. <laughs> because my expectation's not meeting exactly what my situation is. It's Christmas. Think about the, the story of Jesus, of Messiah even, Right? All throughout the prophetic Old Testament, we're promised this king, this Messiah, the one that would rescue Israel, right? This warrior almost, some, someone that would come and conquer and rule. And how does Jesus show up? As a baby in a manger, right? With the smell of animals in the room. <laughs> Can you imagine what Mary must have thought <laughs> like through those early years with Jesus, like, you know, just glancing at him one day, and you know boys, like just maybe he's picking his nose, right? Just digging in, and she's looking at him like, this is the Messiah? <laughs> the Savior of the world? <laughs> Think about it. When your expectations don't meet your actual situation, Maybe God's given you a vision and a calling and you're in a totally different piece of land and there are Canaanites in it and you're going, what is this about? God, I don't know what to do in this. Now, I know what you're thinking first off because I think the same thing. When, when I'm in that situation, I wanna ask why. 
God, why, why is this not lining up? Why is my expectation so far from my current situation? Right? We, we want to know the why behind this. And, and church, I wish I could stand up here and I wish I can give you a nice, clean answer for that, but I just can't. Because it's a mixture of things. Sometimes it's the enemy. Sometimes he wants to mess with your head in this season because he knows this. Listen, church, if he can crush your spirit, then he doesn't have to kill your assignment. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Come on. If he can crush you in the early part and bend your spirit, then he doesn't have to kill the vision later on. Strategically, that's even better. And then sometimes it's God. Sometimes God... Here's what I know. And I know this is not easy for us to hear. God doesn't care as much about the destination as much as he cares about who you're becoming on the journey. Does that make sense? And I know in our mind and, and the way we're wired, we want to think that it is all about the destination. And this is why we build these expectations, God. One day, yeah, yeah, I'm gonna do and this and that and that. And God, why aren't you getting me to that place? And God's like, I don't really care about that place as much as who you are becoming now. It's about trust, it's about bending the knee, it's about giving God control. And sometimes it, it, it's God going to work on you in that process. Like our, our heart, our, our passion sometimes for, for these expectations is we get a glimpse of it and we're like, okay, we grab the keys, we get in the car and we're like, hey Jesus, do you wanna hop in? Like I'll Uber you to the destination, right? <laughs> Come on in, hop in the back seat. And here's the truth, is Jesus don't want to sit in the back seat. He doesn't want to sit in the passenger seat. He wants you to get out of the car and hand him the keys. And you get in the passenger seat. It's his calling. It's his vision that he's given you. And we have to trust that he's going to get us there. And sometimes we just don't know in the middle of that. Sometimes we have to live with the mystery we have to trust. Let me ask you this, church. Do you trust that your father's good? Do you trust that, that his calling and his vision that he has in your life is better than you could ever think of? Because sometimes I don't think we do. Sometimes, and it sounds absurd, sometimes we think we can write the better story. God, I, I, I thought it was going to work out this way. And God's just like, are you crazy? I have something so much bigger and better than... It's all perspective, isn't it? God has this great perspective of things, and, and, and sometimes we miss that. My little boys, if, if I were to sit down with my boys at their age, right? Eight, nine, ten years old, okay? And say, listen, do whatever you want. Pursue anything that you want what would they do? <laughs> They'd go after candy, <laughs> right? And toys. That would be their big picture. I'd find them probably dead in a sugar coma, like sugar daddies all over. It's like, it's good. <laughs> if I ask a teenager, right? I say, do whatever you want. Pursue any vision. What's your vision? Go for it, whatever it is. 
What am I going to see? What's going to happen? I don't know. I know it'll probably be smaller than I could think of. If you tell a 40-year-old man, hey, pursue whatever you want, carte blanche, just do whatever you think is the highest calling, I'm going to fall short. I'm going to dream too little. Because there's someone that always has a greater perspective, and that is your father. And he, I think he just wants, he's asking you in the process when we ask why, he's just going, do you really need to know? Just trust me. I'm a good father. So I can't answer the why. It's a myriad, it's, it's organic that way. It's different for each situation. But here's what I can speak into this morning. I wanna give you what to do when you find yourself in a place where your expectations don't match your situation. And the first thing I wanna show you what to do if you find yourself in this situation or you're going to later down in life, which you will, here's the first thing I want you to do. If you got your Bibles, open up to Nehemiah. Nehemiah chapter two. Verse 17 is where I'm gonna read. You can follow along on the screens here. It says this. Then I said to them, you see the trouble we're in, how Jerusalem lies in ruins? Okay, so this is the story of Nehemiah. We all know the context of this, right? Babylon came in, destroyed the wall of Israel, just annihilated it, like 585 BC. Persia comes in, and now we have another king that's ruling, and, and Nehemiah is serving underneath this king. He's not even in, in Israel, and God gives him a heart, a vision, a passion to rebuild this wall. And so he asks the king, and God gives him favor, and the king gives him material he gives him time. He gives him all this treasure to go do it. How would that be an encouragement for your vision and calling? That would boost it pretty good, wouldn't it? So Nehemiah heads to his hometown and he stands before his people and he gives this speech to them. You see the trouble we're in? How Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates burned? Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer suffer derision. And I told them of the hand of my God that had been upon me for good and also of the words of the king that he had spoken to me. And they said, let us rise up and build. So you could just hear like the rocky, you know, soundtrack in the background building up. Everyone's, yeah, let's do this. We got this thing. And so they strengthened their hand for the good work. But, verse 19, but, there's always a but, isn't there? But when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Amorite servant, and Geshem the Arab heard of it, they jeered at us, despised us. And they said, what is this thing that you are doing? Are you rebelling against the king? <laughs> so you have Nehemiah, you know, gets this calling and this, this high vision, and in his mind, his expectations are, I'm gonna walk into this place because it's already started to happen. The king's given me material. He's given me the heart. He's given me the money to do it. I'm gonna show up and, and I'm gonna rally the troops and we're just gonna build this wall and get her done. And all of a sudden, the reality sets in. The situation actually becomes apparent. The wall is destroyed. It does not look good. And not only that, but we have these guys that are taunting us. Are you going against the king? Are you going against the king? Are you kidding me? I have approval from the king. How could you even? 
And so Nehemiah finds himself in a situation where his expectations might not match up with his situation. So what does Nehemiah do? What do the people that Nehemiah has called to, what do they do? Well, it tells us in chapter three. And I wanted wanted to read chapter three to you, but honestly, it's the most boring chapter in the whole Bible. (laughs) I'm not lying, man. Uh, I was gonna read even part of it. I was like, no, someone's gonna fall asleep and then I'm not gonna feel good about that, all right? If you have problems sleeping, go read Nehemiah chapter three. You'll be out like a light. Telling you, it, here's what it is. It's, it's this people went and built this, and this people went and built that, and this people went and then on and the whole chapter. My son, he's at that age where he comes home from school and he tells these just random stories that just go on with no ending. And then they serve sloppy joes at the cafeteria, and Steve got the sloppy joe and he burped and then we went to math class and then we went to, and then we went to, and then we went. <laughs> I love him to death, man. This is chapter three, okay? Be thankful I don't read all of it, okay? But I was reading it the other day and I found this gem in it. And I think it really speaks to our situation. I'm gonna read it to you and your mind is gonna be like, okay, you ready for it? It's found in verse 28. Here's what it says. Above the horse gate, the priests repaired, each one opposite his own house. After them, Zadok, the son of Immer, repaired opposite his own house. And after him, Meshulam, the son of Barakai, repaired opposite his chamber. I told you, like, yeah. You're like, what? I was reading this. And the picture just kind of came together. The people were assigned to come out of their house and to build the portion of the wall that was directly in front of them. And I thought, hmm, how often do I want to come out of my house, look at some other part of the wall, and go, I'd rather work on that part. Right? Or I have expectations, I have dreams, I have visions, I have callings, I have a picture in my mind of how it was gonna go, and when I come out of my house, I wanna work on that one. And the first thing you do when your expectations don't match your situation is this, church, listen. Build the wall in front of your house. Build the wall in front of your house. I know how tempting it is to look at someone else's vision, to see someone else's family, to see someone else's dream and go, I wanna work on that part. Can I I work on that? And God's going, no, build the wall that's in front of your house. But I don't like the part in front of my house. It's not sexy, it's not glorious. Like, I want that part. Build the wall in front of your house. Build the wall that's in front of, what is the wall that's in front of your house? Is it two full-time jobs? Is it serving kids in the nursery? Right, is it the, the, the situation your family is in right now? What is the wall that's right in front of you that God says you need to start building this and build what's in front of you? 
I know it looks better. See, we always think that the other portion of the wall is gonna be better, right? The grass is always greener kind of thing. The truth is, if you ever talk with someone on the other side of the wall where they're working, it's still the same thing for them. And we get so focused, the enemy wants to get you so distracted and so dizzy when it's really simple. Build the wall in front of your house. Build the wall. I tell my kids all the time, it's really easy. Being a Christ follower is really easy, okay? All you do is this, obey God. Just obey God. When you're confused, when you don't know what to do, build the wall in front of you. God's put you in this situation. He's put you in this season for a reason. He's shaping you. He's molding you. He's doing something in the process that will get you ready for the other portion of the wall. Pastor Terry, he, we came out of Bible school and he had the guts enough to hire me and my wife as youth pastors. And, and we didn't know anything. We thought we did. <laughs> and we started to go to work just reaching teenagers. And I remember for a long time, we would have just 30 students, just 30 students. And we'd do everything, everything we knew in the books, everything we knew with other youth pastors that were being successful. And every week it was just 30 students, which was great. And I, I loved that we were ministering to that. But in my heart, it was like, God, why can't we reach 300? I know your heart's for that. I know you want to reach 300. Why aren't we doing? And every week we'd butt up against this wall and I really wrestled with God. God, why, why can't we get past this barrier? What is it? And I'll never forget what God told me one day. He said, Jake, I'm not giving you 300 students because you haven't learned what I need you to learn with 30 students. Ooh. Build the wall in front of you. Build the wall in front of you. You remember the uh, karate kid? <laughs> you remember how frustrated Daniel was in the process? Wax on, wax off, paint the fence, right? All these, and, and he's like, what are these dumb things that I'm doing? And then all of a sudden, Mr. Miyagi comes out and like, and he's like, whoa. <laughs> what was he doing? He was building the wall in front of him. And he didn't understand, he didn't know but it was actually preparing him for the next part of the wall. Church, build the wall that's in front of you. When your expectations don't meet your situation, build the wall that's directly in front of you. What is that wall? Go to work, do it the best you can because it's teaching you something. and It's preparing you for the next part of the wall. You with me? Yes. Build the wall what? Come on, all right, second thing. Second thing you need to remember when your expectations don't match your situation is this. Remember, you're not a dead lion. I know, you're like, what? Check this out, Ecclesiastes. I read this verse the other day. Ch chapter four, verses three, it says this. Still anyone selected out for life has hope. For as they say, a living dog is better than a dead lion. <laughs> this is one of those verses, uh, like, I would, I, I would read, have you ever had this? Like you read a verse and the like Holy Spirit's kind of nudging you. And you're like, this is gonna be something good here. And you're like, I don't get it. <laughs> have you ever had that? You're like, I feel like there's something here, but I'm just not seeing it, right? Like not understanding the inside joke or something. And God shared with me one time this really simple truth that translates into this situation here. In, in those times, a, a dog was... Uh, mangy thing. It was, it was, you, the, the thought of a dog living with you as a pet 
was absurd. Like you would have been the crazy guy on the corner of the street. Like he's got a dog in his house. What? Cuckoo, right? Like this was, they were mangy. They roamed the streets. They were not, you know, friendly half the time. And so it's saying this, at the lowest position, if you were a, a dog, okay, but you were alive, it'd be better than a king, a lion, someone with the full vision and picture that's dead. Church, you still have time. Do you know how I know that? Because you're breathing and you're in this place, you're alive. And just because it, the picture, the expectation hasn't been fulfilled yet, it doesn't mean that it's not going to. You're still here. You still have assignments. You still have a wall in front of you. You're breathing. Don't be a dead lion. You have purpose here. Can I say something a little, little pushy? Who, who here has been with Jubilee for 20 years, so since the very beginning? Raise your hand. Raise it up high. A couple people in the back there. Come on, give them a hand. Give them a hand back there. Listen, listen. What we enjoy here, what we experience week to week here at Jubilee is due and was built on the backs of these people. It was their prayer, it was their time, it was their treasures that was given that we're enjoying the fruit of. And we're not done yet, right, Amy? We're not done, Daniel. We still got this. We're still going other places, but here's the deal. We need other people to pick up the mantle too and take the vision to the next level. Why? Because we got a generation behind us that we've got to prepare. I grew up in a church, some of you know this, we would have like pews and different things in the church. It would say, this pew was built or donated by Dorothy Burma, right? <laughs> Sister Burma provided this pew. <laughs> I, I know friends that I grew up in church that, whose families would, would forego vacation during the summer to, to put into the church, to give to the vision of what was going on next. We need another generation to rise up and say, I'm still living, and I need to do something. We need to take this to another level. Are you ready? Because you're still living. And we, we've got to do things. We've got to go places, don't we? All right, that's it, all right? All right, so we've got build the wall in front of you, and then we remember you're not a dead lion. And third is this, live adventurously expectant. Live adventurously expectant. Listen to Paul, what he says here. <clears throat> he says in Romans chapter eight, oh, I love this verse. God's spirit beckons. There are things to do and places to go. This resurrection life you receive from God is not a timid, grave-tending life. It's adventurously expectant. Greeting God with a child like, what's next, Papa? God's spirit touches our spirit and confirms who we really are. We know who he is and we know who we are, father and children. Live adventurously expectant. I, I, I wanna work this, I wanna be careful with this because I, I know it can be easily misinterpreted, okay? Listen, there is a difference. There is a difference between being expectant 
and having expectations. There's a difference between expectant and expectations. And when I read the scriptures, I don't know if I ever find a case where God really wants us, okay, to live a life of expectations. What do you mean by that? I don't mean without hope. I don't mean any of those, okay? What I mean is this. It's a posture. It's a posture. When we come in our lives to expectations, here's what we're doing. We're writing the story ourselves. We're filling out the narrative in our own mind, right? When I have expectations, I'm coming to that mystery and I'm going, well, here's Here's what it could be. It's probably going to go this way. And here's what. And I just don't find anywhere in the Bible where someone wrote their own story, not God's, and found success. I just don't find it. But I find a, a posture of being expectant a big deal. And I think God wants more of us to have the posture of being expectant and not living with expectations. Why would we trade anyways God's vision, God's picture for what we could write? It's just foolish, right? But God wants us to live, and man, I've, I've wrestled with this so much because it's so easy for us to write and, and want to come to God with the posture of control. It's a, it's a form of godliness is really what it is. Check it out, uh, Mary, you remember Mary? An angel shows up and prophesies and says, you're going to have a child, right? And she has a response with the question, how will this be? Then in the same story in Luke chapter 2, we have a guy by the name of Zechariah. You remember this? He's the dad of John the Baptist, right? An angel visits him and says, you're going to be the father and you're gonna, your wife's going to have child. It's going to be John the Baptist. And he responds with the question too, right? He, he asks he says, how will I know? And an angel, the same angel, shuts his mouth up at that point. He can't talk. He's muted. It's like God saying, like, that's the wrong answer. <laughs> right? But then you see Mary has the same kind of question. I mean, it's a question. And you read those two and you're like, how, how, how can it be? Right? And how will I know? It, it feels the same. But it's different. Why? Because the posture is different. Listen to me, church. Listen. Zechariah came, how can I know? How will I know? It's a, it's, a, it's a posture of control. God, I need to, it's expectation. He's writing the story. How will I know this is gonna happen? He comes with control. Mary, on the other hand, says, how will this be? It's a posture of wonder. It's a posture of, what's next, Papa? Do you see, does that make sense? And there's a, there's a big difference between this because sometimes it's so easy for us to live with writing our own story, to, to take the posture of control. And that's why we get frustrated sometimes is because our, our expectations aren't met. And God doesn't want that posture. He wants us to come living adventurously, expectant. What's next, Papa? Think, think about how many parents do we got in here? How many of you remember that first kid that was born? How many expectations did you have going in? Right? We had all kinds of expectations. But we came with an expectant heart. Right? Do you remember when the baby came out? 
<laughs> you remember how ugly it looked? Do you remember this? You know what I'm talking about. Don't even, oh, no, my baby was beautiful. Come on. You're like, what's all this stuff around? This is, ugh, what? Did you walk away though? Did you go, this isn't what I pictured. Uh-uh. I, we gave birth to a lizard, honey. Let's go. <laughs> no, no. You're like, this isn't what I picked. I don't care. What's next? Right? You walk in with your kids. You're like, everyone tells you beforehand. You're like, you're, well, get used to not sleeping, right? And what, is, what is, was your expectations like? Or how did you approach it? It was like, well, it's not going to be with us. <laughs> We're going to have the one perfect kid that sleeps. And then you're like up every night. You're like, that, well, you're right. They were right. <laughs> Did you walk away though? No, you were expecting. That posture was more of, of being adventurously expectant. What's next, Papa? I don't know what's next, but I trust you. Let's do this. Where are we going? Oh, we're going this way, <laughs> okay. When you find yourself where your expectations don't meet your situation, build the wall in front of you, okay? Remember, don't be the dead lion and live adventurously expectant. My dad, growing up, when it would begin to snow, like six inches or so, he would load us kids in the car. We had one, it was like a 78 uh, Honda Civic hatchback. You remember these old ones? They only came in like three colors. You remember that? <laughs> red, yellow, and tan, I think it was. And we had a red hatchback 78 Honda, man. This thing zipped around and it'd be getting, you know, six inches or so of snow. He'd load us kids in the car and he'd head down to the church parking lot. And he'd get at the end of it and he would gun it. <laughs> and then about halfway through, he'd flip on the emergency brake and he'd crank the wheel to the left. Anyone do this before? Come on, I know you've done this before. The G-force in that car <laughs> would shove all the kids to the right side. We're like eating glass, just like, what is happening? <laughs> yung, yung, yung. I didn't know if we would end up in a ditch, hit a telephone pole, I just didn't know. You're a little kid. And, and everything in that situation, you're out of your element. I had every right to panic, to be scared, because everything around me was whirling and I didn't understand the situation. But do you know how I knew that it, everything was gonna be okay? Because I'd look at my dad and my dad was smiling. <laughs> he was even laughing. <laughs> and I knew if I could just keep my eye on him, if I could keep my focus on him, and not on the craziness that I don't understand around me, that everything was gonna be okay. Because I trust him. And I trust that he's a good father. And that he wouldn't put me in harm's way in any way. And church, when your life situation, when your expectation's not meeting your situation, and it doesn't make sense, why isn't this happening this way? Why is it so, it seems so far from what I thought Put your focus on him. It wasn't, remember at the beginning of all of it, we didn't fall in love with the vision. We didn't fall in love with the picture that we see. We didn't fall in love with the calling. It was him that we fell in love with. The one who gives the vision. The one who gives the calling. The one who gives you the dreams. Don't take your focus off of him. 
in times when it just doesn't make sense, put your eyes on him and trust that your father is good. Be at peace in the mystery, in the not knowing. I sat this on my desk. I didn't know if I was gonna open this during service or not, and, and I've come to this conclusion. Everyone's been asking me, are you gonna open it? <laughs> I don't think I'm ever gonna open this thing <laughs> because I want, I, want to be, I want a reminder in my life to not live with expectation, okay? I wanna live with an adventurously expectant heart and I may not know what the future holds, but I trust dad. And I trust that he's got the best wired for me. You with me? Let's pray. Father, <clears throat> in a room this size, God, there, there are so many dreams, there are so many visions that you've given, God, so many callings. It'd be neat to just go through every single one and hear every story, God. But you know them all. You know every ache, you know every heart, you know every vision, every dream. And there's some in this place, God, whose dreams, whose visions, whose calling, whose pictures, God, have just, have been, they're just in a season of death right now. And this morning, God, I believe you want to breathe life into those again. Not for the vision itself, not for the calling itself, but because you're a good father. And you're doing something in the middle of the process. And so, God, I pray in these seasons, Lord, we would learn to build the wall in front of us, that we'd learn what that faithfulness is. Whether it's cleaning bathrooms, God, raising toddlers, God, living in frustration, God, we're gonna build the wall that's in front of us. God, time is not over. You're giving new life and new vision in this church. May we live adventurously expectant, God, with that. We love you, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Everyone said amen. amen. Would you stand as we close in worship here?